Welcome to DaveNemitz.com. I think you're really going to enjoy this presentation. I've had a number of people have told me that they've listened to this over and over. The audio is a unique testimony and teaching about how to release unconscious blocks that prevent us from moving forward in an area of life. It was given by Constanzia Hooker at the Upper Room Fellowship in Washington, D.C. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Yeah, pretty much this is all based on my testimony. And a lot of people that have invested in me over the years when my life was really nutso. I was, to put it shortly, a disaster magnet. A week in the life of Zia at one point would have been getting a ticket, having four co-workers mad at her. My mother actually suffers from severe illness, so that was an issue and money problems all at once. And so this was like a constant thing in my life where there was arrows being thrown at me. And sometimes, most often, things that I had nothing to do with. You would look at my life, if you knew all the details and really knew me, you would say, this person has really, really bad luck. That is where this comes from. Now I have a relatively boring life, which is really awesome. <laughs> and so Jesus is free to shine through without all of the debris that was surrounding. I kind of want to start by just laying a little foundation about what this is and how we come to need inner healing because I didn't just get that way because I woke up one morning and just got that way. There are reasons why the enemy can throw darts at us the way that he does sometimes. And so I just want to talk about the reasons why he can do that and how God wants to step in and protect us because he really does. He's a good, good daddy and he loves all of us very much. So the first thing is salvation. We think about salvation in terms of getting to heaven, or at least I always did. I get saved, I get a ticket to heaven, and that's really it. But the word in the Greek actually means saved, healed, and delivered. And so we are stuck with this thought that we have this Savior that wants to do everything for us, but how does this happen? One of my favorite verses in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to claim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to them that are bound. But I don't think a lot of us see that in our lives daily. We just see, God help me, I'm struggling. There's a problem when we don't see that. The good news is that it's possible. Okay, so we have... When we're saved, initially, you know, God makes our spirits new, but our souls actually still need to be saved. Our minds need to be renewed. God actually wants to come into us beyond our conscious selves and give us salvation that we can't give to ourselves. What I want to kind of focus on is soul wounds. These are these things 
that make us have these life patterns where maybe we end up dating the same guy over and over. Not literally, but the same personality and the same quirks and the same problems, or we end up having the same job or the same boss, or we're accident prone. We wreck our cars every three years or something. And there's something behind that. It's not just, oh, this just happens to me. And it's not your fault most of the time. I mean, we're all sinners, and in that sense, it's our fault, but there's something going on there. So, usually, what happens is when you're a itty-bitty little kid, something happens, and I would label this trauma. And it can be a series of things, it can be one thing, but usually there is one event, a time, a place, a a moment, that kind of starts everything off. And something happens. And as a little child, you might not know how to interpret that thing that happened, okay? As an example, which is kind of an extreme example, my mother is honestly getting some extreme healing herself right now, but she was severely abused. And so throughout her life, there were very deep hooks in her that no one could get to. She had no trust and she had no sense of safety, relationships, all of those things. You remember that U2 song, Stuck in a Moment and You Can't Get Out of It? (laughs) That's what happens. You get stuck in that moment and you can't get out. And so she was stuck at four years old. And some of us are stuck in whatever parts of our lives. We can be stuck at 10 years old. We can be stuck at 7 years old. We can be stuck at whatever. And not all of us. I mean, we have our adult selves that grew up. But then parts of us are still little kids. Some things might trigger you. Like somebody will talk to you a certain way. Or somebody will say something to you. And you might feel very young in that place. And you might lash out or you might start crying or something of that nature. And in that place, you're probably very, very young. And so Jesus actually wants, he cares about our hearts first. And he wants to go give you the parent you never had or give you the safety you didn't know that you needed. And he wants to go to that very, very deep place and grow you up into the grown-up person that he made you to be. So that happens. And usually when that happens, you know, as adults, we see it as a pattern in our lives. But as children, what happens is we feel very, very unsafe. And uh, there's a very wise man named Andy Reese who I learned some of this from. And he says that, What happens in trauma is the enemy tells you lies in the midst of the trauma. And he says two of the first lies, I'm not okay and the world's not safe. Every human being on the planet will hear those two lies. And that's the first foothold that the enemy tells you. Basically, he tells you you're not okay so you won't run to God. You'll think I'm too dirty, I'm too awful, I'm too this to go to God so I'm going to stay over here and try to figure it out because it's not safe 
And number one, he wants to tell you that God's not safe. But the reality is that's not the truth. It's a lie. Also, when the lie comes, it never comes in, you're not okay. It never comes in second person. It comes in first person. I'm not okay. The devil will speak to you in first person. He's a liar. He's not going to show you that he's there. But you know it's him when he brings fear and doubt and anxiety. God never works in fear. God is 100% love. The third thing that happens usually, we encounter this lie and we say, okay, we make a vow to it. We want to make sure this never happens again, right? So we say, I am, here's an example. I will get punished and not get my needs met if I show my emotions. Therefore, I will always hide my emotions in order to get my needs met. That is the vow. Okay. So, you know, this could affect you the rest of your life. This vow that you made. You go to a job, and the moment that you show your emotions, you're admitting to your boss, you're not going to meet my needs. You're not going to meet my needs because I'm showing my emotions. And that's what you're telling him he can do to you in the spirit. And that's exactly what he does. And that can just be the way that you live. The fourth thing that happens is blame. We as human beings just naturally want to hook a cause onto something. We want to say, this is why it happened. And why do we want to do that? Because we want to control and make sure that it doesn't happen again. It goes along with the vow. I'm going to make sure this never happens again. So we say, it happened because I wasn't careful enough. Or it happened because my mother doesn't love me. Or it happened because God is bad and he's angry with me. In this place of blame, there's often an unconscious unforgiveness that happens. It gets in there. It's not really something we ask for. It's not really even a grudge. It can start to become a grudge, but it's one of those things that's just kind of unconscious and the enemy just drops into our soul. And it's just, you know, it's a trap. And then, number five, basically at that point the enemy has a foothold And you become a target for this. So the same thing can happen to you over and over and over and over again. And that is your life. And what happens is so many people, they build the way they live their lives around it. So their personalities are formed around this. Their desires are formed around this. Their whole life is a reaction to the things that happen to them in these places. And so maybe they're telling their mother that they are not like her. So their entire career is based on that, something of that sort. And so instead of God actually being able to bring them out into who he created them to be. And that's the most wonderful thing ever because that's what he wants to do. And the irony of all of this is the enemy wounds us often in the place of our greatest destiny. So... It's usually the place where he will tell us, I'm not any good at that, or I'm bad in this area, or I can't do this, or whatever, because this is your flavor to most impact the world for Jesus, 
and to love other people and make connections to other people and to really feel love and receive love and all those things. And so that's where he attacks you. So then a stronghold develops in our mind. And a stronghold's a little bit more than a wound. It's kind of how you, the things that you do to cope with it, the structures that you build, the things that you do to make sure that this never happens again. And they kind of build over time. Every time someone does that to you, you kind of bolster up the stronghold a little more. And you say, well, this is the other thing I'm going to do to make sure this never happens again. And so really the whole basis of all this building is self-protection. And the only way we can get out of it is to get God to protect us instead of us trying to protect ourselves. Any addictive behavior comes from this sort of thing. And addiction is not just extreme like alcohol or something or drugs. But it's anything you can't stop doing. Clues that you have a wound. We all do. Some of these things are you're limited, like you can only go so far, and then you get pummeled by life. The place that you try to move ahead, the place of your heart's desires, the place that where you really, really want God to move in your life, and you get knocked down every single time. The second thing is addictive behavior. The third, anxiety, fear, rage. It's not a problem of the mind. It's a problem of the soul. A lot of times we try to intellectualize our way out of these wounds. We try to say, well, God is good, therefore I'm okay. And then you get up in the morning and you act like everything's okay and then you get knocked back down again. And that then reinforces it again. And so you can't really win the battle with your soul. Here are some common lies. And all of these are kind of connected to, you know, as you can imagine, different wounds. But first one is lies of lack. If I express need, I will be punished. If I ask for something, I'm bad. If I receive something, I will be punished. There isn't enough for everyone, so I have to go without. My needs are not important. Lies or vows of identity. I'm too much to handle, so I will hide. I will hide behind what I can do because if I have nothing to offer, people will reject me. If people saw the real me, they would reject me. I must reject others before they reject me. I'm not important enough to be noticed. Lies of relationship. I am alone. No one will be there for me when I really need it. Not even God. Okay. The biggest problem of all, as you can imagine, is that This affects our relationship with Jesus. This is who we think he is. And so all these things that happen to us and the way our life is going and these walls that we can't knock down, we think that, for instance, God is just like the person who hurt me. And this affects our intimacy with God and we can't receive The other lie is getting hurt over and over is God's will for your life. And it's really not. We have times of suffering in our lives, and those are used to hone us. But he always brings us into life. God is never a dead-end God. And if you ever find yourself in a dead-end sort of situation, I would venture to guess that's not Jesus. That's something else. And so 
thinking about God as Father. I think of Matthew 7 where he talks about if you ask for bread, would I give you a stone? That type of thing. He's a good father. And we look at earthly fathers and if they are cruel to their children, we say, well, that's a cruel father. And some of us think that God's like that. I have a little list here because this is so central, how we think about God. How to tell the difference between God and the devil, 101. (laughs) The devil works in fear and torment all the time. If you have a fear, you usually have a lie that's behind it. God never bullies anyone. Never, ever, ever. God is only light and life. He will bring growth and make your life healthier. He does not harm you, although he may hurt you sometimes. You guys kind of see the difference of what I'm talking about. He may prune your branches, but it always brings you growth. It's never a dead end. And you'll see when it's a dead end. Dead ends are years and years of just, you're never moving forward. God convicts, he never condemns. God's conviction leads to transformation, not guilt or fear. If you feel fear, guilt, condemnation, it's the devil, not God. At Assateague, one of the curls was, we were all sitting around and she was talking about God like an ocean. And the fear of the Lord is like respecting the waves of the ocean. And I really agree with that. I thought that was such a wonderful thing. I mean... You need to obey God. However, God is not a torture chamber. And if you're feeling torment, fear, God does not bring you death. Even the fear of the Lord brings you joy. And that's just not a theological statement. But if you're feeling constant torment and fear over something or anxiety in a certain area of your life, that's not God. He's not working in that. The devil is manipulative and pushes you. God is life-giving and freedom-giving and leads you. So if you feel pushed, it's the enemy. God only leads us. He's very gentle, he's very loving, and he's very freeing. Another lie is God is not really good, so I can't really trust him. Another real problem is the way that it affects God Our mothers affect our relationship to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a comforter, nurturer. He orders our daily coping, confidence, growth. And so if we have a dysfunctional relationship with our mothers, then we probably have a dysfunctional relationship with the Holy Spirit. Our fathers affect our relationship with Father God. Protector, provider, the one that gives us our identity. And so if you had a rough place with your dad, you probably have a wound there with God and it's hard for you to relate to God in certain ways. Our brothers and sisters affect our relationship with Jesus, the companion, the confidant, the one that gives us our social identity. And so the way we relate to even our friends would affect that, our relationship with Jesus. Kind of the last thing I want to go through is on generational strongholds. You have individual wounds where someone would wound you and this carries out throughout your life the scripture says that sin will carry back to the fourth generation and blessing to a thousand generations so that's good news but the reality is that your grandparents and great-grandparents made some agreements with some lies and did some things 
that probably affected your whole family. And that's why, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so it's truly a kingdom. The decisions you're making now are going to affect people later. And they do affect. And so the decisions your parents made affect you. And there's a reality of you going back if you see patterns in your family where people do the same thing over and over. Here's an example. It's very interesting because as I got more healing over several years, it was weirdly apparent what God was doing. But there's just a huge thing in our family with ridicule. And we grew up ridiculing our mother. My father ridiculed people at school growing up. I mean, it's, you know, one of those things that you think, oh, well, that's just someone making fun of someone else. But it's a sin. And what would happen in our family is if you didn't ridicule other people, then you would get ridiculed. And so growing up, I was actually very good at ridiculing people. So I did that a lot and I never really got ridiculed. But then I started getting closer to the Lord and I stopped doing that. Well, at that point, I was going to be the one that was made fun of, okay? So this one Christmas, my brother started doing this to me. And he's a little kid, you know what I mean? Just didn't know any better. Honestly, I just think he was just kind of going in the family flow. And I stood up for myself. My sister comes at me and tells me to be quiet so he could keep ridiculing me. And so it was like this little web, you know, and this whole Christmas, that's kind of how it went. Now, the next Christmas, because the Lord had healed me of a lot of things, none of that even happened at all. And it was very strange. (laughs) But it's kind of like when you have a wound or when there's a family commitment to a sin, the person either that's not doing it or is on kind of the other side of the flip side of the coin because there are the ones that are doing the sin and they're ones that are going to be hurt by it. And that's usually how it happens. They will just kind of go along with that flow. And it can happen with good stuff too. Somebody, some family can be very giving and you can just feel like you walk into the room with the whole family, everybody's going to give you a present if you spend enough time with them. So it's just kind of like a, it works with good and bad. The enemy works in fear. I mean, he's going to poke at those fears and those wounds and those lies, and he's going to get people to try to replicate that behavior. And so four generations back is not a lot back, but if he can get everyone to believe those lies, then people will just keep going. So that's really all I have as far as foundational. And what I find with prayer, and it's a little different with group prayer, but is that it's really much more effective because the enemy gets in through our wills. We agree with something. We say, what you're saying to me is true and I believe you more than God, essentially. Okay? God doesn't come in. He waits patiently at the door. And he knocks, but he never barges in. And so if we've let a lie in there first, we will be buffeted by that lie. In prayer, I always find that it works better to say things out loud because our prayer is an act of a will. It's not an act of our emotions. It's not an act of our intellect. It's not an act of anything but just, I decided to say this. I decided I want you to come here. 
even if you don't really, you want to, but you don't feel like you can. That's usually where most of us are. I want to, I want to feel that it's going to be fine. I want to feel that I can. And truth is, you can't. You can only say yes. So, I have a few little prayers. And most of this is just Jesus talking to you. And you spending time with Jesus. But when I say these, I'm going to have you guys repeat after me. And then when you hear what you're asking Jesus to tell you, I just want you to raise your hand so I can go on to the next one, if that makes sense. And so, honestly, this will just be a time between you and Jesus to kind of get started. Here's a few notes about prayer. After prayer, just as a warning, you will often feel pain and don't feel scared this is actually kind of a sort of spiritual surgery (laughs) you know how someone has a wound and maybe there's debris in it and they've bandaged it up and that's what self-protection is they're bandaging that up and it gets all infected jesus is just taking off that bandage and going in to get the stuff so you can actually heal properly So it's going to hurt a little bit probably, but it's going to be good. (laughs) Yeah, don't try to stop it. Just let it happen. Okay, so I have a little pre-prayer before you asking Jesus to do stuff for you. If we want to like just bow our heads and close our eyes. (laughs) And just repeat after me. Jesus, I allow you into my mind to do whatever you want. I allow you into my life to take total authority and control. I allow you into the lies Satan has led me to believe. I allow you into fears. I allow you into addictions. Do whatever you want. here's the first one first I want to just say that you won't always hear right away and you might hear tomorrow but Jesus is usually pretty faithful to tell people what they need to hear here's a prayer just say it after me Jesus please bring up any trauma or memory where the enemy got a stronghold in my life We'll just wait for the Lord to just say what he needs to say and you can put your hand up if you have one and so we can know when to move on. Those of you that have your hands up, just start to picture Jesus in this situation. Probably won't be the best picture, but just listen to what your emotions are telling you with that. Jesus, 
might seem helpless to help you or something like that. Here's another one. Jesus, what lie did I believe in this? Just go ahead and pray that. Raise your hand if you have the lie. Right, just go ahead and pray. Jesus, please show me the truth in this situation. Just as a tip back to God 101, the truth is opposite to the lie. The truth is life-giving. The truth is good. And just repeat, Jesus, I receive the truth in this situation. Picture Jesus now in that situation.
So, Jesus, who did I blame when this happened to me? Jesus, I forgive this person for teaching me this lie. I release them from all expectation and judgment. God, please forgive me for blaming them. Here's one last part. Jesus, what vow did I make when this happened to protect myself? I'll just give this a second. All right, Jesus, I break agreement with this vow. And I allow you to protect me instead. stuff to God and saying, God, I invite you into this area, take over, I can't do it? Yes, yes. Well, the little steps of 
imagining Jesus in a situation. That really helps a lot of people. Another thing is anytime you feel anxiety or fear, there's usually a lie there. And that's just like red flag number one. Anytime you have a reoccurring addictive behavior, there's usually a lie there. And so just making a practice to say, Jesus, what is that? And asking God into it is number one. And then once he tells you, just to renounce the lie, forgive, and break the vow. I mean, it's really as simple as that. Because all sin is based in self-protective behavior. So when we're protecting ourselves and not letting God protect us, then we're pretty much in bondage. And so anytime you have a nagging fear or a, a something you cannot stop or you cannot seem to kick, that's where the lie is. And you just ask him what it is, break agreement with it, and just allow him to protect you. Because chances are you decided that you were going to protect yourself. And you can't handle it. I mean, as human beings, we are stupid, stupid sheep. (laughs) 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 You just can't handle it. You're just not good enough or big enough. I think it's fairly simple You know, it is easier when you have people around you that know you and love you. And if you can handle it, to ask them, you know, what are patterns in my life that I could pray about? Then that's hard. You know, that's getting vulnerable. It might help to be with people you don't know first, like a counselor or something. But, yeah, just people you trust. Asking them helps, too. But really the biggest red flag is fear. I mean, if you just went off fear... You could find most of what's bothering you. I mean, I've got this uh, friend I hadn't seen. And he's a handsome guy who's just been with way too many women. And I've been, the last couple of weeks, I've been kind of mentoring him a little bit. But I also sense that my sleep, I've been having a lot of dreams. And, right. Uh, I feel very disturbed when I wake up. Right. Sensing evil. Right. And I'm just wondering what you, what you know about that. You're much more experienced than I am. But I know that I'm helping this guy get liberated with awareness, and he's very hungry. Well, what's going on there is actually what you call a soul tie. You can have good soul ties or bad soul ties. And someone that you happen to get pretty close to will, it's kind of like hooking up in a bad sense, a sewer line. And you're getting probably a lot of the demonic that's on him just because you've hooked up with him. I would invite the Lord into that and ask him about yourself because probably the only reason you got hooked by him is you probably have a wound that allows that. Okay? So praying like this to be healed actually helps with that when you have a relationship with someone like that because I know exactly what you're talking about and that happens to everyone. (laughs) But another thing is after you talk to him, just directly after, just say, Lord, I allow you to break that soul tie. And just cleanse me of that so you can be free and sleep and all that stuff. So, yeah, but I'm just curious. Of, everything you said makes sense to me. But do we become a target as well, in a sense? I mean, if we are helping to liberate others, do we not know we become a target? Or yes, absolutely you do. Okay. Absolutely. However, there are, is a certain position with certain people that the enemy can't get to you because you're healed up. Yeah. Okay, so... Sure. You are a little bit more vulnerable if you have some of those open wounds. There are situations where the Lord might bring someone into your life 
and you might not have that instance where there's a negative soul tie. And then sometimes someone can just randomly wound you and then it creates that. But, I mean, just working through that with the Lord, you'll find a lot of protection in that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. What would be your suggestion, like, if you're praying with somebody and maybe they've been wounded by a parent or whatever, what the parent did wasn't really sinful or wrong, but the child perceived it as being wrong? So then do they still offer up that prayer of forgiveness, or is there, like, another route or direction with the prayer? Absolutely, you would just pray a prayer of forgiveness. Now, with God, His forgiveness to us is always that you did something wrong. But with us, a lot of the time, the unforgiveness is just us holding a grudge. And so forgiveness, a definition of the word is just letting go. So you're just telling the Lord that you're just opening your hands to that. And so it's not that you're saying, well, they did something wrong necessarily. It might be. You don't know. You were a kid. You know, so God knows. You know, you can forgive yourself. You can forgive God. You know, I mean, God never did anything wrong, but we thought he did sometimes. And so forgiving God is a huge thing, I think, for a lot of people. For me, it was. And forgiving the church. Exactly. Yeah. Really, it's irrelevant what they did or whether it was wrong. It's how you ingested it. So, for that answer. Well, I have a second part to that. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, what if the parent feels like they did something wrong? Maybe they really didn't. Mm-hmm. That kind of trickles down to the kid. So it's still okay. kind of just the same thing, like just to ask Christ in that situation, let him break it off, or it's more like the feelings that kind of come down, like through the family. Right. Well, usually what happens with that is the parent taught the child a lie about that forgiveness or whatever happened through their feelings. And so just asking the Lord what the lie is helps. It could be anything. But usually the parents feels a certain way that's not true. The parent's scared or the parent's having whatever problems they're having and the child ingests that a certain way and believes something that's not true. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So how did you, like, fall or stumble upon this gift that you have? I mean, when did you wake up that morning and say, oh, my gosh, I have this gift? And, like, I don't know if it's a gift. Well, like, well, it's like, were you, like, at the coffee shop one morning and all of a sudden you're like, you know what I mean? It's like, how did you, you, like, you know? Oh, well, I don't know if it was me so much, but, you know, I had a lot of problems in my life. But I knew that my problems really didn't match up with what I was feeling with the Spirit of God in me. The Lord would tell me things or I would sense things or whatever. And I would always feel Him meet me in the midst of the craziness. But then there were all these other things that would never fall away. And I didn't feel the Lord in them. And I thought, what is going on? So, you know, I just kept kind of following the little path. He would say, go here and talk to this person, go there and talk to this person, go. And finally, I got to the right people somehow. I mean, I spent a lot of years beating my head against the wall. (laughs) And, um, like, I actually, one of the first prophetic words, this man was praying for me when I was, like, first kind of getting out of the mess. And he just was like, yeah, you have been on a treadmill and God is putting you on a path. And that was really what my life was like. I would run and run and run and run and run and run and run. I mean, seriously, I could spend energy to no end and nothing would ever happen. In other words, all of my own efforts never worked. The only thing that worked 
was me just listening to the Holy Spirit in the midst of the mess. And then I ended up finding some prayer ministers. I went to a church who taught me some of this stuff, and that was really good. But prayer ministers who really taught me, like the mother, father, heart of God. And they were parents to me for two years, like eight-hour-long conversations, you know. (laughs) I mean, this is like time, you know, and extreme love. And so you're asking about gifts. Everybody has gifts. You know, those gifts were brought out in me by them, gifts um, of maybe prayer or healing or whatever. And But, I mean, I really think that everyone sitting in these chairs or anyone in the world was given gifts by God that have, are really buried a lot of the time. And they can't be brought out without, you know, God's love and freedom and truth and all that stuff. So, does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It's kind of like this backwards thing, because remember how I was talking about how when you have these things happen to you, you're stuck at four years old or seven years old or ten years old. And what God wants us to do is give us the ability to be pillars in the kingdom and strong and able to help others and all this kind of stuff and stable and all these kinds of things. But then he wants to give us childlike hearts. And so there's this paradox. And what happens with the enemy, what he does is he gives us the opposite. He gives us hard, grown-up, I'm going to do it myself hearts, but then we're unable to help other people on the outside because we're so weak. And so what he does is he, it's kind of like this thing of every time you hold a grudge or believe a lie or something like that, you decide that you're going to be the grown-up in the relationship with God. And you just can't do that. It's impossible without failing. I mean, you're just going to fail. And so what he does is it's a process of softening up your heart and making you like a little kid to him. But then in the process, when he fills you up and gives you everything you need, then you're able to be actually a grown-up out to other people. And so, yeah, so it's just, it's kind of a cool little thing. So every time when a little kid decides to control Those are the steps of becoming like a jaded, kind of uh, hard-hearted grown-up that you see people walking around like that all the time, you know. And there's just a little kid trapped in there that wants to be let out, but can't because they're taking care of themselves. Is there an example you can give from your own life where you can discuss the balance between a right operation of your will? I don't think what you're saying is that we don't take responsibility or control of things at all in our right. lives. You don't just say, God, you do it all. Right. Somewhere where there's a nice balance. It's, it's a good point. I think this is where God works miracles. <laughs> because he fills that gap. Yeah, it's hard to really say specifically. I'm trying to think of an example in my own life, but I, there are plenty where, you know, I clearly couldn't make it work. And so... I asked the Lord, okay, so if I keep going on this, I'm going to be sinning. I'm going to be making my own way. I'm going to be protecting myself. I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to be, you know, whatever it is. And so inviting the Lord in to protect me, I've seen him come through for me. And I'm saying just in supernatural ways where he clearly, it's not just a feeling you get and a healing you get. But your circumstances shift, and all of a sudden, he is there to protect you. 
and he is there to provide for you and he is there to be the one where you couldn't but now you can because of him so it's an exercise in trust <laughs> probably to the last two and a half years the Lord has taken me on a journey of healing yeah and the one that really helped me a lot was the unbound if you guys never heard of the unbound it's the heart of the father ministries with Neil and Jan Lozano they have a book called unbound for example when you forgive that person you are also taking responsibility that you know what I'm a grown up I have to stop blaming that person. Mm -hmm. You know, you take ownership. You know, you take accountability for your own actions. And it's no longer because I'm like this or I react like this because of what happened to me. I'm allowed to behave this way because... Yes, I'm allowed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's also another thing, defining forgiveness, too. There's a thing of releasing expectation mm -hmm. where you just say, I no longer expect this person to pay this debt any longer. And so that's the ultimate responsibility in a lot of ways. Because you're saying, God, not only am I letting you heal me and meet my need, I no longer expect this person to do that for me. And so, yeah, that was great. So, When you try to forgive somebody and you make the will, you know, you voice it out. But it does happen where you fall back and mm -hmm. you feel... You want to hold that grudge again. Mm -hmm. and it goes on and on and on until right. you get healed. Yeah. So during that time, because I know not forgiving someone is the Holy Spirit. Right. But is He still there with you? Is He still helping you, guiding you? Of course. Mm -hmm. If you've asked the Lord into it and you are walking in that direction, it's kind of like growing up as a little kid. You don't get angry at your toddler for falling down. God doesn't get angry at us for that. The only thing that hampers us with God is if we just don't trust Him. In other words, like in Hebrews it says, He's not pleased with those who hold back. But if we're just laid out before Him and just walking forward with Him, you know, there's nothing else that you can do. Um, the other thing is that I've found that's really effective, like because probably what you're dealing with is a little bit of demonic in that, where it would just kind of get on, that when you actively bless that person, it actually will kill it really fast. Because the enemy does not like you doing that. And so whenever you think about it, just blessing them, and it really has a lot of power. A lot of supernatural power. I got a prayer card with about 50 people's names on it. I try to pray for them every day, individual prayer. I always feel better after I pray, by the way. But there are people out there who have hurt me. But I find that after I pray for these people, I always feel closer to them. I feel more loving. Um, my heart feels more forgiving. And I, I feel like there's some sort of spiritual dynamic that's released. They feel closer to me too. Absolutely. Well, and the opposite is true too. What were you going to say? You? No, I was just going to say that when she was describing whatever situation it was, is that that's exactly what the enemy wants. Is mm -hmm. as the Lord has delivered you, you know, has free you of something, he tries to attack you like double time because he wants you to get stuck in that place mm -hmm. where you were. Mm -hmm. I've been there. <laughs> I don't know what that was like. I think partially to that point about. When things come back, 
What you described reminds me of some books that I've read and uh, that take more of a psychological approach, but they talk about the same things, the lies, but also the injunction, what's a parental injunction. So, for example, the father says to the child, respect your mother, mm-hmm. but then he berates the mother. Mm-hmm. So there's a spoken message, but the spoken message is in fact a lie that covers over his real message, which is don't respect your mother. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then it comes back down to something fundamental that's more first person, like you're not good enough, or I'm not good enough. Or an injunction is more dictating behavior, mm-hmm. like don't get close to women, right? Because mm-hmm. the father shuts the mother off and doesn't talk to her. So that injunction, how do you escape from that injunction which becomes a pattern of life, even a destiny? Right. Well, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit, he knows a lot more about us than we do. I've found that when there is a system of lies and there's all this entangled kind of gross stuff all together, just to invite the Lord into it, and in your personal prayer time, he will bring up the next thing. Just invite him into the whole mess, and you will find that he will untangle it over a little bit of time. And you'll go, where did that go? You don't know the path out. You're right. You don't. Aspects, I think, are really fostered and aided by either a group, a small group, or maybe one or two friends that know you well Uh and can almost, in a way, allow God to speak through them. Absolutely. I mean, he's the one that's providing this protection and this permission, Mm -hmm. ultimately. And it it doesn't necessarily work without him. But it comes through the voice of a person. Oftentimes, yes. Like, for instance, I could not get close to Father God because I felt so unsafe. And so as I built a relationship with them, I started to get closer to God because I felt safe with them and then I started to say well maybe God is more like them than what I grew up with so it's really all of this is very soul oriented and your emotions you're ingesting certain emotions that you needed and didn't get like safety and protection and love and support and all that stuff so absolutely right but the thing is even in those relationships only God knows who you need to connect with And that's why we are such children, you know, because we will go right like a magnet to the wind (laughs) unless he goes behind that. And he will if we ask him to, you know. So the other thing I was thinking about in terms of what you said with blessings and curses is that curses work the same way. Like those kind of things that... um, and there's just, there's just a power in that, what someone says to you. And so oftentimes when you've been cursed by a person and there's unforgiveness there, break the curse and then forgive them and then bless them. And it's so powerful because just as much as it changed your life to be cursed, it will change their life to be blessed. And it's more powerful. So, anyway. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, thanks for listening. There's lots more good stuff at davenevins.com. And don't miss the book Surrendering to Abundance, which has a wealth of great material on hearing God's voice more clearly with over 150 examples and lessons learned, stories, interviews, and that's available on Amazon. So, enjoy. Enjoy.